0: It may be hard to believe for those of us born in the digital age, when every embarrassing moment can potentially be uploaded to YouTube for posterity. But an estimated 70% of all films from the silent era are thought to be lost. Of the silent film directors whose works have largely vanished, perhaps the most intriguing, at least for me, is the German director Kai Winkelmann. 1887 to 1926. Although influential in his own era, he has since been largely forgotten. For reasons which I believe will become readily apparent if you read further into this article. Winkleman was born on September 18th, 1887, in Offenbach on Main, the son of a butcher. He reportedly found the family business very distasteful and did not get along well with his father, who drank heavily. After serving on the Russian front in World War I, a period of Winkelmann's life which left him permanently traumatized, Winkelmann married a certain Greta Schultz, a nurse whom he had met at a veterans hospital. He moved in with her to her home city of Vienna, Austria, where he began making films for the pioneer producer, Joe May. Winkleman created many moderately successful films while working for May, several of which survive in whole or in part, but by far his most successful work was The Lord Lister Serial. The Lister series, based on a series of pulp stories concerning a gentleman thief named Lord Lister, who goes by the assumed named Raffles, in the criminal underworld consists of six episodes, each about an hour in length. The films bear a somewhat superficial resemblance to their source material. In the original novels, as in the first two episodes of the Lister serial, Lord Lister is a somewhat sympathetic Robin Hood-like figure, a la Arsene Lupine, who rarely commits any particularly egregious misdeeds. In Winkleman's Lister serials, however, he became a much more sinister figure, a seemingly omnipotent mastermind of crime who is not above rape and mass murder. In the series, as in the novels, Lord Lister is pursued by a Scotland Yard detective named Baxter, In the early installments of the serial, Baxter is portrayed as a figure of fun, an incompetent drunkard who is always outwitted by the master thief, but in the later episodes, Baxter becomes a tragic figure, an honest lawman who is helpless to prevent the atrocities of his implacable persecutor, Lord Lister. Although Lord Lister was played by several different actors, the idea being that his true face was unknown, Detective Baxter was always played by Winkelmann's friend and confidant, actor Olaf Schneider. Olaf became close friends with Winkelmann shortly after the latter began working with Joe May. The two could not be any more different in appearance or in temperament. Schneider was healthy, muscular, and a lover of fast cars and boxing, while Winkleman was a recluse and often in poor health. Nevertheless, the two shared a close relationship, perhaps finding common ground over the tragedies in their respective pasts. Winkleman had an abusive childhood and was left mentally scarred by his service in World War I, while Schneider's wife had committed suicide in 1918, leaving him to raise their infant daughter alone the contents of the first 5 lister films in so far as they can safely be reconstructed at all only one of them survives and even then only in an incomplete print are as follows number 1 enter lister The screenplay of the first episode was written by none other than legendary director-screenwriter Fritz Lang. In this installment, Lister, who is living under the assumed name Lord William Aberdeen, manages to steal a valuable painting during an art exhibition. The bumbling detective Baxter eventually manages to arrest Lister, but the latter escapes switching identities with a guard in a clever ruse. A spectacular chase scene ensues, during which Lister, of course, escapes. Number 2. Lister Hits Back The film opens with an elaborate scene where Lister steals the pearl necklace off a duchess's neck at the opera house. Shortly thereafter, Lister boldly announces his next crime via newspaper advertisement. He will steal the family jewels of Lord Willamore at such and such an hour. Baxter and his fellow policemen stand guard at Lord Willamore's side at his mansion, waiting for Lister to appear, but he never does. And just when he is about to dismiss the incident as a hoax... Baxter hears muffled cries And discovers the real Lord Wilmore bound and gagged in a wardrobe Lister had been impersonating him the entire night And the real jewels had already been replaced with identical duplicates Baxter realizes that the mansion is rigged to explode And barely escapes with his life This is the only surviving Lister film Number three, Lister in America. Detective Baxter receives a tip that Lister is hiding in the United States. Baxter boards an ocean liner, but halfway across the Atlantic, the voyage begins to go horribly awry. The passengers are falling mysteriously ill. It seems that Lister has planted plague infested rats on board, presumably in an attempt to assassinate Baxter upon his arrival in new york baxter is swiftly arrested for a series of murders that lister committed and a local judge really lister in disguise sentences him to death by hanging baxter makes a desperate escape through the sewer system and emerges into the night air where he is greeted with the sight of lister taunting him from a rooftop he's wearing his iconic costume a black cloak, black gloves, and a black executioner's mask. Lister mockingly crosses and extends his wrists, as if daring Baxter to arrest him. Number 4. The Deadly Perfume Detective Baxter investigates a series of grisly murders. Someone has been replacing department store perfume with sulfuric acid, resulting in dozens of deaths and disfigurements. In order to uncover the truth, Baxter forms an alliance with a young woman who claims to have been Lord Lister's lover. Despite being a married man, Baxter soon begins to succumb to her charms as well. The film ends with a shocking scene due to the, due to the machinations of Lister. Baxter is forced to allow the young woman to be run over by a train in order to avert an accident that would kill hundreds of people. And finally, number five, The Screaming Corpse. Little is known about the contents of this particular film, as contemporary reviews contain little but exclamations of disapproval. It is known to chronicle Baxter's descent into alcoholism and depression after his repeated failures to capture Lister. The plot reportedly involved a deadly fire at an opera house in a surreal scene wherein Lister wears a man's flesh as a mask. Despite or perhaps because of... Their often morbid content, the films were quite popular with the contemporary viewing public. One might consider them the Saw movies of their day. As you might have guessed, the increasingly darkness of Winkleman's films was accompanied by the corresponding crisis in his personal life. The affair between Winkleman's wife, Greta, and his closest friend, Olaf Schneider. Winkleman seems to have known of the affair and tactically accepted it, although eventually this seems to have taken a considerable toll on his already fragile psyche. In a letter to his cousin, dated October 13th, 1923, Winkleman writes, And why shouldn't she prefer him? A man like him can offer her what I, with my frail body and lacerated soul, could never hope to give her. My dark muse has seized control of my life, I'm powerless to do anything but obey its commands. This state of affairs continued for some time before an unthinkable tragedy put an end to both the Lord Lister serial and Winkleman's partnership with Schneider at least for the time being. In December of 1923, Winkleman was away on business in Frankfurt, having left his 18-month-old son alone with his wife. The live-in housekeeper was away visiting her sister. According to the report that a distraught Greta later gave the police, she and Schneider were making love in the bedroom when suddenly she heard a loud thud from the child's room. Her son had evidently climbed out of his crib, breaking his neck. Naturally, this created a gigantic scandal, and no one was particularly surprised when Greta disappeared one day, presumably to start a new life under an assumed name. As for Schneider, he emigrated soon thereafter to the United States, where he dropped out of the public eye. Despite the horrendous personal tragedies that had befallen him, Winkleman held up as well as he could be imagined under the circumstances. Although he had been a doting father, at least when he was not distracted by his filmmaking career, he managed to bear his grief with a certain dignity, even founding his own film company a few months later. Winkleman's studio was relatively successful at first turning out several lucrative if unremarkable films a few years after his son's death however strange rumors began circulating around Winkleman it was said that he had fired most of his staff and spent his days wandering around his empty decrepit film in an interview with the Vasishi Zitang dated to six months before his death Winkleman claimed that he had fully forgiven Schneider, and, rather surprisingly, had been corresponding with him and planned for them to make a film together. To the surprise and later dismay of the viewing public, a final installment of the Lord Lister saga, entitled Lister's Revenge, was released in 1927. Lister's Revenge was screened in only a few theaters before being permanently withdrawn from circulation. The film, only 40 minutes long, was much more surreal and expressionistic than any previous installment in the series, and much more unsettling. Contemporary accounts, though doubtless exaggerated, mention fainting fits and worse, at advanced screenings of the film. According to contemporary newspaper reports, the film begins with an intertitle, explaining that Detective Baxter has lost his job with Scotland Yard and had been abandoned by his family. Baxter is shown in a dirty, disordered apartment room, sitting at a writing desk. There is no other furniture around him. Baxter is writing a note whose contents... We do not see, and he's weeping all the while. He's surrounded by empty beer bottles, and his appearance is unkept and disheveled. The crying scene continues for an uncomfortably long time, after which Baxter leaves his apartment and wanders through the streets of London. The city is represented by a series of surreal map paintings, reportedly very much in the style of Das Cabinet des Dr. Kiligari, full of absurd angles that would be impossible in reality. Sinister shapes can be discerned in the background. hanged bodies, weeping, disfigured faces, things of that nature. Detective Baxter finally pauses in the middle of a tall bridge, contemplating the rough waters and jagged rocks below. It is clear that he is considering suicide. Suddenly, a dark shape materializes at the other end of the bridge. It is Lister, wearing his usual executioner's hood and cloak. Lister shouts, Jump! Via intertitle, of course, and Baxter, for a moment's pause, manages to gather his resolve and chase after his nemesis. After a brief chase scene, Lister leaps into an enormous sinkhole, Baxter following close behind. In the next scene, the detective finds himself in an enormous cavern, presumably the master criminal's base of operations. It becomes clear that the cavern is filled with furniture, a dining table with chairs, a wardrobe, a wash basin, and even a bookcase. Baxter cautiously approaches the table soon realizing to his horror that all the furniture appears to be made of human bone in the center of the cavern is an enormous pile of human body parts casually stacked together like a compost heap Baxter recoils in horror and attempts to run back to the entrance of the cavern but it is too late Lister with two other masked men on either side of him is swiftly approaching carrying an axe we see their shadows on the wall of the cave encroach on the detectives finally engulfing it completely and then the scene shifts yet again detective Baxter is shown inside a damp dungeon of sorts his hands and feet manacled to the wall he is bruised and bloodied a large metal door swings open and Lister reappears still accompanied by his two masked henchmen. One of said henchmen is carrying a struggling, wriggling form, a blindfolded little girl, around ten years of age. Lister tells Baxter, Now you and your daughter will be reunited, just as you wished. And with that, The two masked thugs hold the screaming and kicking little girl down on the ground while Lister withdraws a butcher knife from somewhere within his cloak and calmly, methodically, slashes her throat. The two masked henchmen then place the dying little girl opposite the distraught, Detective Baxter. Blood is oozing from her mouth and throat, but she's still breathing slightly. Lister declares leave him to his fate, and the three masked men exit the room, leaving Baxter to watch helplessly as his daughter breathes her last breath. An intertitle announces that three weeks have passed and Baxter is still chained where Lord Lister left him. His clothes are ragged, His skin is covered in bruises and blisters, and his eyes have a wild, haunted look to them. Across from him is the corpse of his daughter, bloated and blackened. The iron door slowly creeps open, and Lord Lister reappears, once again shadowed by his two masked accomplices. This time, he is carrying what appears to be a burlap sack, The two henchmen unchain Baxter. He attempts to strangle Lister, but in his pathetically weakened state, he is easily restrained. Lord Lister slowly pulls an object out from the sack. It is a long-haired human head, still dripping blood. Kiss your wife, Lister exclaims. A horrified Baxter refuses, but the henchmen punch him into submission and restrain his arms. Lister forces the severed head's lips against Baxter's, the latter retching all the while. Baxter is then returned to his restraints, and the two accomplices proceed to savagely beat him with nail-studded wooden planks while Lister looks on. Lord Lister motions for his men to stop the beating, and Baxter looks up with dying eyes at his tormentor, lying in a pool of his own blood. Do you realize now why you've never managed to catch me? Why you could never have won? Lister says, and Lord Lister begins to peel off his hood and turns around to face the camera directly. We see his true face for the first time or rather the space where one should be for Lister does not possess one at all his face is a blank wall of flesh with nothing at all to mark it as human except a gaping black mouth I am lost he said drifting closer and closer towards the camera as if threatening to break through it. Lord Lister's jaw opens wider and wider, far wider than should be humanly possible. It reaches almost down to his waist, as if threatening to engulf the audience and all the world. And with that image, the film abruptly ends. As above, Lister's Revenge was a resounding failure with audiences at advanced screenings and was quickly pulled from most theaters. Evidently, the film was too much, even for a movie-going public that had made Winkleman a wealthy man for his earlier forays into violence. Audiences had found the film's gore effects to be disturbingly convincing. So convincing, in fact, that many suspected they were not effects at all. And a warrant was soon issued for Winkleman's arrest. After the police had searched in vain for Winkleman at his home, a fire was reported at his downtown film studio, and several hours later, Winkleman's body, having been pulled from the smoldering ruins of his film stat, was identified using his fingerprints. Though his garments were badly burned, he appeared to have been dressed in black. The bodies of Olaf Schneider, his ten-year-old daughter, and his former lover Greta Winkleman were never recovered. Now, like most of Winkleman's films, Lister's revenge has vanished almost without a trace. Some copies were lost in fires, an unfortunately very common occurrence, as early film stock was highly flammable, while others were deliberately destroyed. There is an interesting, though certainly apocryphal, anecdote in Christian Ickheim's modern horror fairy tales from the silent film era about a rediscovered copies of Lister's Revenge, which bears repeating here, if only for its dramatic interest. In 1974... So the story goes, Peter Fleischer, an Austrian film collector, acquired a copy of Lister's Revenge at an auction. After reviewing the film on his private projector, he began to experience headaches, nausea, and finally, hallucinations. He reported seeing a figure in a black cloak out of the corner of his eye, but the figure would vanish as soon as he turned his head. And at first... This figure would appear to be far away, but it seemed to come closer and closer over time. Eventually, Fleischer began to suffer from insomnia. The figure would stand over his bed at night, but disappear as soon as the light switch was turned on. Every appearance of this figure would cause a feeling of intense despair and dread in Fleischer. After several weeks of agony... Fletcher finally burnt the film reel in his fireplace. The hallucinations ended, but the inexplicable smell of charred flesh lingered over the chimney. That same book also offers a rather strange urban legend concerning an alleged curse that hung over the life of Kai Winkleman. While serving on the Russian front during World War I, so the story goes... A dying prisoner of Romani descent, who had been captured after a particularly bloody skirmish, cast the evil eye on the young lieutenant. The weight of the deaths you have caused will follow you like a cloud, the man is reported to have said. Perhaps this was the dark muse Winkleman spoke of in his letters. It bears mentioning here, That Winkleman's sketchbook from his stay at the Veterans Hospital Contains numerous line drawings of faceless, cloaked figures Regardless of what you think of the supernatural Just ask yourself this Who is more real? Hamlet or Shakespeare? Dickens or Oliver Twist? Charles Foster Kane or Orson Welles? Some fictional characters have more life in them than you or I.